I want to welcome you. My name is Tim Power. I'm the pastor of Modern Worship here, and I want to thank you for worshiping with us. We are going to start by showing a video, and I just want to give a quick disclaimer. Um, this is a true story about a, a, a someone I know personally. Um, however, it, it does have some intense things about it. So it does talk about drug and alcohol use, and it talks about um, thoughts of depression and suicide. These can be um, somewhat triggering things to some people if you've struggled with these things. Now, it is an inspiring story, and it, there's, there's um, I think that we can get a lot from it, but I just wanted to let anybody, if you feel like, well, I want to, I want to, um, have my kids leave for a couple seconds. It's going to be about a four-minute video that we're going to start here. Just wanted to let you know about that and be sensitive to the fact that these are heavy issues, but I also want to encourage you, it's a very inspiring story. So we're going to share this right now. At that time, I drank almost every day. I mean, at least every other day. But then that's when I started seeking out harder drugs. And got introduced to meth and kept meth and pills from the age of 18 until 20 days before my 39th birthday. I didn't care if I lived or died from day to day, um, but I knew I had a plan that I would execute right after March 24th. I knew it would be the last score. I, I drained my bank account. Um, of all my cash that, that I had, came back here to the exact hotel that that I was in April 5th, 2012. I knew that it was it. I was done. Uh, my letter was already written to my family, loaded up a syringe and went into the bathroom and, and shot up with the sole purpose of not caring if I wake up hoping I wouldn't wake up. Next day I woke up still alive. I guess because of being introduced to, to church and to Jesus a few times throughout my life, um, when I woke up, that, that's when I knew there was a God. Um, at first I was kind of mad, and then it was confusion. How, why? Obviously, there's a God. Now it's up to me to figure out why he kept me alive. What am I now going to do with this life? This has been, for me, an amazing journey. Uh, six years ago, I would have never thought that, hey, you're going to be a pastor of recovery. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just a drug addict trying to figure out life. And... Um, so to be blessed with this, this opportunity to, to say, hey, God can do this in your life. Life change is what it's about in anybody. Whether you're an addict, you're a codependent, you can find healing and freedom in Jesus. Shane's story is a really powerful one. I got to meet Shane a couple of years ago um, when I, we were both licensed as uh, Methodist pastors together and went to the same licensing school. Um, so I got to spend about a whole week with Shane, and um, he, he's really inspiring. Um, in fact, 
as he talks about, he's a recovery pastor. What that means, um, at the church, uh, at Morning Star United Methodist Church, where, where Shane serves, they have 200 people that are involved specifically in the recovery ministry, where every Thursday they get together to try to overcome together their hurts, their habits, and their hangups. So not only is it folks that are dealing with addictions of substance abuse and things like that, but also people who are dealing with all sorts of issues. They try to take the same 12-step approach to having a spiritual awakening that can change their lives um, by using this thing, Celebrate Recovery, which also has a specific focus on finding Jesus in those steps. Uh, his story's an amazing one. Now, I think maybe somebody in this room might think, Tim, why do we have to talk about these heavy stories? Why do we have to talk about these people who their lives are kind of just like torn apart? This is hard stuff. These are, these are really heavy things. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. Why can't we just hear positive stories about well-adjusted people, right? You're in the wrong place for stories like that, okay? Now, here's the deal. Christianity is a faith for sinners. Now, there are some churches right now in our culture that avoid this word sin. And I know why. I know why. Because there are some churches that actually have weaponized this word sin um, to harm people, to harm some people. Um, and I understand that. In fact, when I was growing up, I went to a church um, at, that, that, that had a tendency towards some of this behavior. Uh, I remember when I was, the last time I ever went to youth group at this church, um, they were holding a mock trial where they wanted to judge all of the teenagers as sinners going to hell. Okay, that, doesn't that sound like a place you would want to go? So what... what Literally, I walk in the room, and they have, they, they had a, boy, they must have worked hard on it. They, they had a whole setup. It looked like a courtroom. And then one of, the, one of the youth leaders had me sit up on the stand where I, in front of all of my peers, was cross-examined for every area of possible sin in my life. Doesn't that sound awesome for a teenager? Last time I ever went, because I thought, what a, bun a bunch of judgmental hypocrites, and, and, and very well that might have been true, but I think it was because I had a, a kind of a warped understanding of what this word sin means, what this word sinner means, and I'm going to give you a definition of sin. I borrowed this from Pastor Mark Batterson, but I find it very, very helpful. His definition of sin that he gives is this, legitimate desires fulfilled in illegitimate ways. Legitimate desires fulfilled in illegitimate ways. And we could think about this in our lives. There's probably a lot of us. You know, if you have a desire, probably that's an innate thing that God put on the inside of you, and it's meant to be fulfilled in legitimate ways. Eating is one of these areas where we can see we all have a legitimate desire to eat, but if not watched carefully, that can slip into the sin of gluttony, right? Can I get an amen? Okay, so we also can have things like a desire for intimacy. Now, this is one of these desires that God has given us, put it on the inside of every human being, and yet we see in our own culture that people try to fulfill this human desire for connection, for intimacy, and even sexual intimacy without commitment, right? We have apps we can put on our phones so we can meet people and we can fulfill intimacy without any kind of form of commitment or what we call a covenantal relationship that we see in Scripture. This is where we move from a legitimate desire to being fulfilled in illegitimate ways. We all have a desire 
to provide for our families. And yet if we don't watch out this desire to make money so that we can have enough to provide for our family can turn into consumerism. It can turn into greed. This is ways that we can move from a legitimate desire to fulfilling it in illegitimate ways. See, the gospel is good news that Jesus came for us, for sinners, for people who try to fulfill legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. The gospel tells us Jesus came into the world He came to earth, died, and rose again so that we could be transformed. Like that story we saw where Shane was transformed. He had a legitimate desire. If you know, um, and we didn't share this in the video, but Shane came from an abusive household. And he talks about really how so much of his life he was trying to dull a pain. Now that's a legitimate desire to get away from the pain of an abusive upbringing. But he started fulfilling it in illegitimate ways. But the gospel shows us a much better way. That through the powerful, transforming power of Jesus Christ, we can be set free from these sins. We can be set free from fulfilling legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. And we could be set up for abundant life. Now, the Bible's full of great examples of people being set free, people being transformed in amazing ways, but maybe one of the most dramatic transformations we can find is in the story of Saul, or as you might know know him, the Apostle Paul, which is what he was later called in the New Testament. Let me give you a little bit of background before we get into our scripture this morning. When we first encounter Saul... He's a very different guy than the Paul that we think about as the Apostle Paul of the New Testament. In fact, when we first encounter him, it's it's after Jesus has died, he's risen again, and, and we have the start of what's called the early church. And back then they called themselves the way, the way. And Saul did not like these guys. Saul was a Pharisee. If you remember anything about the life of Jesus, um, these Pharisees were always calling Jesus out. In fact, the Pharisees were always calling Jesus out because they said he spent too much time with, you remember? Sinners. He spent too much time time with sinners. And Jesus basically said what I said earlier was that he came for the sinners. He would say, a doctor doesn't come to see all the healthy people. And so that was his answer to the Pharisees. Well, Paul, uh, or first Saul, his father was a Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee. And in fact, uh, when we see the first martyring of, of a Christian in the New Testament, it's, it's Stephen, one of the disciples of Jesus, was martyred. And we find this guy, Saul, holds the coats of the people that throw stones at Stephen. They stone him to death, and Saul is the guy holding the coats. When we see him again in chapter 9 of the book of Acts... He has really started to take off and become a a very influential leader going against these people called the way, these followers of Jesus. And I'm going to start in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still spewing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest seeking uh, seeking letters to the synagogue in Damascus. If he found persons who belonged to the way, so these are followers of Jesus, whether man or woman, these letters would authorize him to take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. During the journey, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven encircled him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice asking him, Saul, Saul, 
why are you harassing me? Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are harassing, came the reply. Now get up and enter the city. You'll be told what you must do. Those traveling with him stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but saw no one. After they picked Saul up from the ground, he opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and neither ate nor drank anything. This is a pretty powerful story. Now, that's not the end of the story. Um, for brevity's sake, I want to just tell you a little bit about what happens after that. Um, Saul is, is basically staying in a house. He, he can't really do anything. He's not eating or drinking. He's basically just praying because he's so confused. I mean, his whole world has been upended. But then um, God shows him a vision that a man named Ananias is going to come and pray with him. At the same time, God was telling Ananias, you're going to go pray for this guy Paul, and he is actually seeing you right now in a vision that you're going to come and pray for his sight to be restored. And you're going to share the message of Christ with him, to which Ananias replied, excuse me? Is this the same Saul that I think it is? Yes, it's the same Saul who's been going around killing all the followers of the way. And so we have this, this time where, where this guy is so afraid to go, but he, he follows with a little, bit of, a little bit of convincing. He follows after what God tells him, and he goes, and he sees um, Saul. He prays for him and says something like scales fell away from his eyes. Kind of gross. It sounds like pink eye to me, but um, something fell away from his eyes, and suddenly he could see. He was converted from being one of the great persecutors of the way. He became one of the great followers of the way, and this is the guy who wrote most of the New Testament that we read right now. Big change. Big change, right? Because here's the thing that I think that we can learn from this story, that we can learn when we read this story and when we hear stories like Shane's, which is this, that God demands one thing of us. See, God will transform if we will surrender. I want to say that one more time, that God will transform if we will surrender. See, Paul was eaten up with something. He was eaten up with hatred. Remember when we were talking about my friend Shane, Shane was eaten up with pain and with fear. They were both being held captive by something that made it impossible for them to move forward. But they both had to be captured by something greater than that. I, I came across a book a couple years ago. It was a book called Capture by uh, Dr. David Kessler. Now, um, Dr. Kessler, um, a really well-known well physician, he, he ran the FDA for uh, uh, you know, a long time in the 90s. And it brought him into, into thinking deeply about this idea of capture because he, he encountered so much um, uh, issues with food and overeating in his position there. He also encountered a lot of issues with substance abuse. And not just substance abuse, also depression and mental illness. And what he did was he did a lot of research, and he wrote this book, Capture, and he shares a little bit of that. There's, there's a, a nice video that he made for his presentation that I want to share with you real quick. 
Why does the smoker pick up that cigarette and smoke 780,000 more over a lifetime? Why does that cigarette become so powerful? Then I became very interested in food and in overeating. So that power to get me to do something that I didn't want to do, but I was going to do it anyway, I began to wonder whether that power of how a stimuli can capture our attention, how that plays a role, not just in addiction, cigarettes, or drinking, or eating, but what about other stimuli, ideas, objects, thoughts, feelings. When you look at someone who's depressed, they can't shake their attention being focused but on negative things. And someone who is manic is focused on those things that are gonna make them feel good. And at the core of that range of disorders, what you see is the selective attention that has the ability to affect how we feel. Capture is how our attention focuses on one stimuli rather than the thousands of others that are bombarding us. Capture is neutral. We can be captured by things that are positive or negative. But what's key is not that there's a chemical imbalance, but rather that there are these neural circuits that we're all vulnerable. And you can explain a range of disorders, the obsessions, the phobias, the addictions, by looking and seeing what is the object of capture. Pick any form of treatment. Let's start with drugs. What drugs do is they dampen my reactivity, and I feel things less. Psychotherapy, in essence, gets me to look at the world differently, hopefully to be captured by something else. Spirituality gets me to try to distance myself from the stimuli. They're trying to affect this process of capture. Capture's part of all of us, but why do some of us become captured by something, someone's captured by something else? What determines that? What captures us is intensely personal. Every capture is the result of prior captures. But what capture does is it tries to pull back the curtain on mental illness and says that there is a fundamental mechanism to which we're all vulnerable, and it's just the way our brains are wired. What I find fascinating about that is how, how true it is to our understanding of biblical spirituality, which is this, that we are hardwired to be captured by something. That each one of us is hardwired to find some affection. The, um, <clears throat> the great French mathematician Blaise Pascal said this. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the creator who made, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped vacuum in your heart, in my heart. And if we're not careful, we'll try to fill it with other things. And see, it's true. Um, we, people can see this even if they're not followers of Jesus, I think. The great writer, David Foster Wallace, said this in one of, one of his most famous commencement speeches. He said this. He said, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Now get this. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. A compelling reason for choosing to worship God is pretty much anything else you choose to worship will eat you alive. 
David Foster Wallace, by the way, not a follower of God, but he sees this truth. If you worship money and, uh, and things, uh, if you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Worship your own body and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they plant you. If you worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your fear. If you worship your intellect, being being smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. They're just unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into. Day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being aware that that's what you're doing. And the so-called real world would not discourage you from operating on these default settings because the so-called real world of men, money, men and money and power hums merrily along on the fuel of fear and anger and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth, comfort, and personal freedom. The freedom for all of us to be the lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms. Powerful words. The freedom to be the lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms. See, we're all getting captured by something. We are all worshiping something. And the insidious thing is when we worship these things and we don't even know we're doing it, we create these gods and we don't even know that we put them on the throne in our lives. See, what we can learn from Shane's story, what we can learn from the story of the Apostle Paul as he came to be known after this transformation is that God will transform if we will surrender. That God will transform your life if you are willing to surrender. My friends, that is the key. And I know we live in a culture that thinks surrender is a bad thing. That doesn't sound like winning. But that's the only way. It's the only way in the kingdom of God to be captured by the only thing that really matters in your life to be captured by the only thing that's really going to give you purpose and life on the inside. I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. I want to share a prayer with you. And what, what we'll do is we're going we're to say this together. As, as I, I talked a little bit about earlier, um, uh, Shane, Shane uh, Laswell the story we shared today, he's part of a group called Celebrate Recovery, and they use the 12 steps of AA, but they apply them to all different areas of life because it's very applicable to almost any issue you can have, any hurts, any hang-ups, any habits. And if you're trying to overcome something, then, then I, I think that this prayer is, is a helpful place to start. Now, um, this prayer is actually a prayer from AA, and, and it sounds a little bit old-fashioned, has a lot of these and nows, because when, when it was first written, this prayer was, was, you know, everybody was still using the King James Version Bible, right? So what I want to do is I want to say this prayer together. Now, 
if this would be a helpful thing for you to pray, then I want you to take a picture of it. I want you to take a picture of that, and we'll try to share it on social media as well. But I think this is a great way to start your day, to start in a place of surrender. Because remember, God transforms if we surrender. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to, to say this prayer out loud together. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. I think that's a good way to start your day. I think that's a good way for you to offer yourself every morning. God, I want to be transformed, and I know that only comes through surrender to you. So if you would, just close your eyes for a moment. What has captured you? Maybe in some ways you might feel like it's not that a dramatic of thing that has captured you, but it is. If it's anything that is not the transformational power of Jesus Christ in your life, you may actually be in bondage and not even know it. So what I want to do is just take a moment here, and I want us to, it, just wherever you're at, in that place, name that thing and surrender it to God. Name that thing that has captured you. It's not even, maybe not even a bad thing, but if it's something that has taken the sole focus, it could be a secondary thing that you've made the ultimate thing. Lord God, we offer ourselves to you. Build with us what you want. Relieve us from the bondage of our own selves, our own vanity, Lord God. And I pray that you would take away our difficulties, that the victory you give us over these tribulations in our lives, Lord God, that they would bear witness to your goodness in our lives. We seek your face right now, Lord God, and we say thank you, Lord God, that we can be captured by your love, that we can be changed and transformed by who you are. So, Lord God, we just take this as a moment of surrender, a moment of giving up ourselves to you, Lord God, saying we want to be captured by you. We want to be transformed, and so we surrender. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.